recently with someone identifying as a hawk. A hawk? <laughs> yeah. Bird of prey. Mm. I mean, if you're going to do it, it's kind of cool, right? But, you know. But like a real hawk. Like she, she or he thinks he's a real hawk. Yeah. Well, the real hawks were up in arms about it. They were furious. But... Um... <laughs> Now, what would that be like? Like a, that would be speak. that would be herfs, right? So they'd be hawk exclusionary <laughs> radical feminists or something. Wait, radical hawk. No, I'm getting it that could, backwards. It could, it could be avian appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's interesting. Happy Happy Monday, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Solid Ground live stream for Monday, April seventeenth. And I almost typed 2024 into the description, which I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little bit sleep deprived, <laughs> but I didn't get us that far into the future. I've done that before where I put us in the future, but this time it rained us back. We're here today. So David, would you want to start us off with the blurb about solid ground? Certainly. <clears throat> Excuse me, certainly. <laughs> solid ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition <clears throat> of critical social justice, CSJ, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups for only $5 per month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. Managed to make it all the way through that without coughing too much. That was very good. Thanks, David. Thank you. We've got some hellos in the chat. Hello to Mark Cavendish, to Fire Pestle, and to CNY Photo Video. Hello, guys. Nice to see y'all here. And... Um, so Deborah had some really interesting thoughts and we were chatting about this before, and I guess we all have a lot of thoughts about this, but um, we were having a discussion about transhumanism and about how people are becoming more and more reliant on tech. And just, you know, that's just a really big wide ranging topic. So Deborah, do you want to kind of jump in and set us up? I'm thinking about in terms of sort of ties to what else are we talking about here generally, but how does this fit in with whether postmodernism or social justice or like what's happening with people's psychology as we have more of these technologies that are maybe a bit disembodying. And then that might lead to, you know, people not being sure what their gender is or, or wanting to adopt a bunch of creative things that don't have anything to do with their body. This could also go off into the domain of um, feminism and the sexual revolution and surrogacy. I mean, there's so many different ways, but I wanted to kind of make it still be, we're not just going off on some random topic that has nothing to do with why people come to listen to your channel. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it could go in a lot of different directions. Um, so that's, that's how it, it came to mind. I'd seen some articles just on surrogacy recently and um, was just thinking the more and more women don't even have, do, have their bodies do what they generally have done for however many hundreds of thousands of years or million, whatever. Um, what does that do in terms of 
our sense of humanity and, and also politically, right? Like what are the political ramifications? So it could go in a lot of ways. Yeah, just, it really does. Sorry, David, go ahead. It's Oh, sorry. Sorry, Liz. I was just going to say on the surrogacy point, was it just that, um, was it talking more about the, the mothers that wanted children but didn't want to go through the birth process? Is it rather than... That's an example of it. There's a lot of people doing it for different reasons. But yeah, some, it was like they said Paris Hilton in that one article I sent over. She's like, I don't, I, yeah, people being afraid of, you see girls afraid of puberty and maybe transitioning, or you see women going, uh, childbirth. I mean, you can die in childbirth. It's not right. a negligible thing, right? But then there's like, well, that's a hassle. I don't, or you're a star. I don't want to lose my body shape, you know, my form. Yeah, that's interesting. Like not wanting to, um, kind of having this sense of, of control over, where you are. I mean, that's kind of like a delayed aging. That's like a fear of mortality that would at its core, isn't it? To be that afraid of something that would alter the body as a natural process. <clears throat> it's like a youth preservation. But one of the ways that I think uh, this comes up a lot in daily life, just in conversation with friends, with co in conversation with clients is over-reliance on, on tech, over-reliance on screens, a sense of addiction to social media or just to the phone. And I feel like this happens in my own life. I feel like I use my phone more than I want to use it. Um, and I, we were talking about this because I was telling y'all that I didn't have any cell data for about a week. And I realized how much I am, I rely on putting on a podcast or something to listen to while I do things like wash the dishes or, you know, fold laundry and how boring it was to be just left with my own thoughts during those times and how excruciating that was for me. And I, I realized I really need to become more comfortable with boredom again, because I'm becoming too dependent on this. And what happens to us when we don't have quiet times for our minds to wander? I was having this exact conversation with a with a with a uh, landlord in a pub I was in a few days ago, and they said that they had no Wi-Fi on their in their pub to give to the customers. And she said, and, and particularly the younger customers that come in and say, "What's your Wi-Fi code, please?" or "What's your password?" and then, and to be able to, to to say to those kids, "We don't have one." She said she she kind of did an impression. It was like a despairing look on their face of like. Oh my God. And, you know, she said, I found myself looking at the parents, if they were with parents, if it was a family and thinking, doesn't say much for your conversational skills. If the, if the child cannot be away from their phone and it's just that, and it's like you said, Leslie, the intolerance of boredom, it's, it's, we've gotten to that point. And I'm the same. I, I, I do the same thing. I think, well, if I'm washing up or I'm cutting the grass, I'll put something on and I don't spend enough time with, um, my thoughts with my body, with my sense of self. And you wonder if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because the more detached we can become from our bodies, the less we're able to tolerate some things in them that change or that become anxious or things might progress or we have a normal range of emotional um, set felt senses that we become unplugged from and we somehow can't tolerate them anymore. Mm -hmm. You're reminding me, I guess I did manage it when I was younger. I mean, we lived, we grew up on a road where there were, it was like three miles length road with maybe four or five houses on the whole road. And there were no other kids except for me and my sister. And 
there was obviously no internet or anything like that. And I remember summers just, I mean, sometimes the big thrill, I mean, this is so embarrassing. We'd go out in the road and sometimes the tar, if it got hot, it would make little bubbles and we would take a stick and we'd poke the bubbles. And like, that was, we were like, oh, we got a good patch. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, that was like, we tried a lemonade stand, but no one came by because we lived in the middle of nowhere, you know? And I, I think I would just lie out with books on the grass. I don't even know. I mean, we somehow, we didn't have other kids to really play with and we didn't even like playing the same things. So somehow, I guess I, re- I don't know. I read, but like there was, no, I mean, that was the entertainment <laughs> and TV, I guess. Mm. I love that. I love that. It's just an analog childhood. Yes. And, and you know, I, I've tried, I try to provide that for my kids. I have, um, I have four kids, two are young, two are grown. I raised my girls who are now in their twenties without television. We didn't have, they didn't play video games. They didn't do those kind of things. And they were fine. They had a good time. It's not like they weren't allowed to be exposed to that. Cause when they go to friends' houses, they'd get to do that and play. And we had other ways, like we did have a computer so we could stream a movie from time to time for entertainment. It just wasn't a regular part of their everyday life, you know, and they did other things. And I have two little boys who are nine and 11 and we do no screens, just about no, none. There's, there's this one YouTube channel called wide world of trains that they love. And like every couple of weeks, I let them watch this guy who watches trains and they, they enjoy the heck out of that. But I'm kind of monitoring that because of the ads that pop up and the other things that the, the YouTube might offer them to watch. I don't necessarily want them to go down those, those channels. I don't know what it could be. And I, they don't have a tablet. They don't play video games. We don't have a television and we don't watch movies. It's just, you know, it's very, they entertain themselves. And kids are, like you said, Deborah, you're out there popping bubbles in the road. Like kids come up with ways to entertain themselves. They really do. And I had that kind of childhood also, cause I'm older and, you know, child of the eighties the and nineties. And we didn't have these things, these digital entertainment options, but I still am susceptible to tech addiction. And so I don't have some illusion that raising my kids without this stuff is going to give them some armor that protects them from it, but at least they're not in it now. I don't, and I don't know if there's like, is there a bigger propensity when you lay these pathways young, these it's a, it's an addictive process. It's an inner, a variable interval reward system that you get when you're interfacing with these things. You've got like your, your notification pops up whenever somebody, you know, responds to something you say, or you get a like, or you get an email or whatever, or even a phone call, even in text, it's a variable interval. And that's the isn't that the most, that's the form of conditioning that's most um, immune to extinction? And it's the, one of the strongest. Yeah, intermittent reinforcement is the, mo- is the most uh, rewarding and reinforcing for the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Jennifer? I'm really grateful that I'm um, a child of the 70s and had all of my childhood, you know, just, I mean, I did have TV, but I, you know, we only had a few channels, there's no cable. So I didn't rely on the TV and I spent most of my time outside running around in the woods and in streams. And I spent a lot of time, like Deborah said, lying in the grass reading. And I just lived in the world of imagination. 
And it was really wonderful. I had to entertain myself and I climbed trees and I wrote poetry and I just, and I journaled. I, I, um, yeah, I just really kind of enjoyed my own thoughts and I enjoyed playing with other kids outside. Um, it was really wonderful. And I'm really glad I had that. And I, I went camping a couple of years ago with my friend and we weren't doing, you know, we weren't sitting there on cell phones and screens. And I realized that I very quickly felt like I was operating out of a different part of my brain and that I had this sense of well-being that I don't normally have, even on a very calm day where I don't have a lot of duties. I think I'm in some different um, mindset because of my constant use of technology. And I don't think it's good for me. And it's like this thing where you don't even know you're doing it. You just pick up your phone because you have a few seconds or whatever, things, and then you're just on it again, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It's just, it's not good. And I want to start using technology more um, to be more conscious about what decisions I'm making with it. So I'm not just filling in space with it all the time. Yeah, I knew someone who called it the scroll hole, like you fall into the scroll hole. And I liked that. That was a good description. You suggested something I thought was really interesting um, and a really great bit of advice, Jennifer, and that was to sort of set aside a Sabbath, a tech free Sabbath. Oh, that was Deborah that suggested. Oh, was that, that Deborah? Okay. Well, yeah. sorry to not, not, give not you that credit, I've been doing there, it. But my, fr- well, my friends are who are observant Jewish people do that. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, like, I, I always admire them. <laughs> mm. I really like that. I like the idea of like a, an intentional avoidance of, of the tech because you can com- become so reflexive, as you say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier to do like in their you know community, they would have a whole bunch of other people that might even be going to services at the synagogue or families who are also observing. So you could be hanging out with people you know, it's not just you by yourself with nothing, no way to connect to the world. So I think having a culture around you of people also, you you could do it, right? But it makes it easier when everyone else is doing it and enjoying each other, playing games, you know, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like board games or something and uh, versus trying to do it yourself, even though it could be done on your own, but it helps when everybody else around you isn't doing it. Just thinking back to what you were saying as well, Leslie, like about the the fact that, you know, is it more harmful in a way to uh, to allow kids at a younger age to get sort of a bit too heavily involved in technology and to start making those inroads in their minds earlier on while their brain's developing? I was also just thinking, like, as you guys were talking about all the things that you were doing growing up, that it could also just be about the fact that those kids are not not practicing tolerating boredom or, or, or yeah looking at some bubbles and knowing what it is to, to 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 make something i don't know like happen or climb a tree or to sort of see what happens if i uh that i walk into the park or you know do this or whatever whatever kids do because they have such fascinating imaginations don't they and it's it's what they should really be using and yet um that isn't that isn't what's being done i remember seeing like uh uh, a, a little kid, I think it was on a, a TikTok in a in an airport, sat on the floor, 
and she it was, she, must, she must have only been like a one-year-old toddler sat on a magazine an actual magazine and was trying to zoom out on the magazine paper oh. <laughs> thinking it was a screen thinking it was a screen and so that that toddler had just picked up the screen that you know that that's what yeah anyway you, you, get, what, you get what I'm saying <laughs> yeah terrifying I, I think um and I I try to be non-judgmental also because you never know what somebody's situation is if you see a family who's out to dinner and their kids on a tablet is it because there was something really specific happening in their lives that day and they just really need to have that conversation they must have the child occupied or or is the child having a, you know, whatever it is, you don't know what the circumstance is. So it's really easy to look at that and be dismissive and say, what terrible parenting this is, you know, that, that would be, I guess that's, but my first thought is it is not healthy to mm. pacify the kid and remove them from the social setting that they're in. That's teaching them not to, in, not to be a part of what's happening. It teaches them to be set aside and to be basically working on some internal entertainment while everybody else is doing, when, when are you going to invite them in? Is that going to change? Like, is, does that happen at four? When are they appropriately invited in six, 10? Yeah. I mean, because once you set up the expectation that they're going to sit there on their own digital entertainment while parents are eating, there's never going to be a conversation that they're going to be having at a restaurant. That's more stimulating than the, mm-hmm. the bunches of zips and zaps they're getting from that tablet. And so yeah. Are they going to be somebody who can't sit through a date without their phone? I mean, what are you setting them up for in life if you're starting them out with that right now? Yeah, certainly like the short term, the short term um, fun of of it will always be, yeah, it will be preferable to use your phone or your tablet. But the long term nourishment you get from sort of ongoing building of relationships, yeah, is mm. being is being sort of jeopardized. I was just thinking, like, uh, does that mean in a way what we should do be doing? with kids a bit like alcohol and drugs and things. It's just like feeding it into them a bit later on in life. Oh, like hopefully teaching them how to use it more sensibly, more healthily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, is that, is, I don't know if that's what you've planned already, Leslie. Well, I guess I think that, I mean, if you look at what's the, what's the net benefit from using this, what is the benefit and what's the argument for letting kids use this? the argument is like, oh, they need to be able to use this because this is what's used in professional life. And and they're going to have to work with this because this is the way the world is now. They have to understand how to use computers and how to use phones and stuff in order to operate in society. That's really the argument. But when you look at user interface on these devices, it's so simple that a person who's never been exposed to it can learn it pretty quickly. So to me, that argument falls apart. You don't really need training for 16 years on this stuff in order to be competent with it. Besides everything's changing so rapidly anyway, so it's going to be different later anyway. Yeah. And what's the benefit in, in the short term and long term for that, that individual? And all we are doing, if we're not using it for a direct and important communication, we're mostly entertaining ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so what is the benefit to that child of just being entertained? I mean, in the immediate, there might be instances where something important needs to happen and the child is going to be an overwhelming distraction to something important. And so you, you give them something to do. I mean, that can happen. And there there's an argument for that, but in general, 
teaching a kid to entertain themselves through their, through expanding their curiosity and their imagination, like give them a piece of paper and some crayons at the table instead of a tablet, like Jennifer was saying, using your imagination. And, and I, I don't know if I answered your question there, David, but that was what no, it's interesting hearing your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have kids. So it's interesting hearing your perspective. Well, it seems like using your senses more and anything integrative, like you know, anything you might do aside from just scrolling right with your hands is just so good for kids development. I just think it's a distraction problem too. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a hard time even reading books now. Like I, I'm so used to Twitter, you know, and I might maybe read, maybe I can read an article, but I've, I've barely read any full books. And when I did, I had to like, I, I'd read for a bit and I'd go, oh, let me all look at Twitter now. Right. Like, this is really yeah. embarrassing. And I can't, I think my thinking is less deep, generally speaking. It just feels like these little shallow boop, boop, little mm. thoughts. And like, is it sinking in? Is it, um, do I remember any of it? So I think, yeah, the, the especially those early years when the, the wiring's getting laid down for the kids, like to not get them in these bad neural habits, like it's a good idea. Like, it's like training people to develop attention deficit disorder because the shallow... Yeah because things are so rapidly moving um, when we're using technology we can go from article to article from twitter to um you know instagram to facebook and back and forth and i have the same trouble now deborah with paying attention to something steadily for um long periods of time i can get myself to do it but it's i'm sort of very consciously forcing myself to do it. Um, God, as we're having this conversation, I realize I need to change my, my habits. And I feel like this kind of like, um, makes people they're so it's like your phone is almost an extension of yourself. And I think that makes it easier for people then to accept ideas like, well, I don't really mind having a chip implanted in me that has all my health information that, um, you know, it's great in case there's an emergency, they can just, if I'm found unconscious, they can just scan my, my little chip, but it also has, you know, maybe social credit information on it, um, or other things. I feel like it just eases the path. It's greasing the works for moving towards something like that. Yeah. Are the tools like external to us and, or the tools part of us, or the tools going to start being in charge of us? Yeah, well, because there's people in different workplaces where they, um, I can't remember where they were doing this, but they had this little um, chip that allowed them, you know, if they had to pass through a bunch of locked doors, they could just wave their wrist. And yes, that's very convenient. And then they could get in the doors. And I think they could use it too in the cafeteria, sort of like an internalized credit card. And you could make the argument, well, what's the difference if the chip is in the card or it's just in you? Isn't it more convenient to be in you? That way you'll never lose it. Um, Right? Like we love chance. And now we expect to be able to, if we have a question in our head, oh, what does this mean? Or where is this country in relation to other countries? We expect to be able to pull that up within a split second on our phones. Well, what if we could just pull it up internally? I mean, it's um, creating people with, we now have outrageous expectations. And I think we're getting more and more impatient because the answers are supposed to come like that. 
And what is, I haven't followed so much the Neuralink, you know, what Elon's Neuralink. I know there's some things that are kind of amazing for people who may have had, you know, some brain damage or um, maybe they can't move a limb, but somehow this thing works that like, like those applications do seem quite, I, I always go, where, how far am I okay with certain tech, you know, and how much should we be helping, you know, hearing things or, or helping people. And then where does it start coming? We're making designer babies and, you know, all, all that. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's like, where's the that middle zone? Cause it would be interesting if people were unable to say walk or speak or something or see, and then somehow something's working that they can. Um, but yeah, when yeah. it gets beyond that, like controlling everything, you know, then I'm like, oh no. Right. Right. And our, you know, I think it's important that the conversations keep pace with the technology, but it, I mean, it hasn't because, you know, when the internet first came, it was like the wild west and still is in many ways, you know, like look at all the um, problems, you know, with um, Pornhub and child porn being available on there and then trying to catch up with what to do about that. It's like the tech happens before the conversations and the ethical considerations really are fully aired out. I think that's a really good point. I think that's one of the most dangerous things that's that's happening with technology right now, honestly, is, is pornography. And that's a whole nother topic. But what we're, we've seen um, massive changes in how people interact with each other. And I think a lot of that has to do with pornography use. But again, that's like, I feel like that would get us on a giant tangent, which I'm happy to do at some point if you guys want. Um, but Deborah, your point about books, I, I feel that too. And what you said, Jennifer, resonates with me around that. It, I can make myself focus, but it takes a lot more work. And I, um, you know, I'll sit and read and then I'll want to look something up because something will, you know, and I used to sit, I used to have the dictionary nearby if I would read. Because if there was a word I'd want to have, I, I'm really big on etymology. So I'd always want to understand if I'd see, come across something that interested me, I'd want to follow up. Now I sit with my phone near me and it's so easy to pick that up and then go down a phone rabbit hole. And before you know it, you've sat down with your book, but now you're scrolling on your phone again. <laughs> and that's that. I hate that. I really, I used to read a ton and I really don't read as much. Oh dear. We're all becoming idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my concerns, I mean, this is, could be its own bigger topic, but maybe I'll just, we could touch on it, it like with chat GPT, right? Like I was having, I wasn't having hives. I was, I was having more alarm about it than like my brother-in-law who can use it for his business and he can make a lot more money. And I was like on a local, like for one individual using it might actually be a boon, but I was concerned. There's the obvious, well, not the obvious, but there's people losing jobs or whatever, but there's also the, the bigger one about the, the catastrophic risks. Like we don't know how this could affect the whole system. But one of the ones that bothered me, I don't hear people talking about so much is people outsourcing all of their thinking and their creativity and other things to something outside them. And, and almost worrying that people would be unskilled, like de-skill themselves or something. And maybe that wouldn't happen. Maybe people would figure out another thing to do with their minds and they learn, they still would write and they still would research and they still, but I get worried that we'd start losing capacities that we have, <clears throat> let it write, let it write a poem, right? Or whatever, do it like my sister uses it for art mashup type stuff, right? Yeah. And maybe people would still do art, but I just have this worry about us 
getting lazy because I would um, um, and not know how to do things. And, I think and we, we are losing capacities. Yeah, we don't know how to yeah. go and like build anything. I don't, I mean, I'm like totally useless for most things. Um, so well, yeah, well, one of the things when I had no cell data for a week, I had, I didn't have my navigation app on my phone and I felt like, how do I get around? This is so frustrating. This is, I can't tolerate this. This is so difficult now to go to the computer and look up a map and sit down and write down directions and then have to like refer to my scrawled out writing the whole time. And I used to do that all the time. That was like how I got around. And, and even that was a step forward from where we were before we had the internet to search a map up on. I've, I've lost that capacity or reduce that capacity anyway in myself. And that's just one example. Do you think that people are going to start buying music by created by chat GBT or, or buying artwork for the house or, I mean, like business, you know, businesses, are they going to start decorating their, they'll just hit some AI to make some artwork for them. And, and that'll be, you know, go on, Deborah. I'll give you an example. So my sister has this, um, I should advertise it near now. <laughs> she has love the breed and I love dachshunds. She's got this whole uh, Facebook, you know, community, tens of thousands of people. And she used to either draw herself or do custom artwork and then also make products. Like, I don't know, make something on a t-shirt or make a little necklace. And now she can just sit and in one second, she can say, she was trying to do one for Passover. didn't quite come out like dachshunds and in a Passover scene or, or whatever, right? Dachshunds and Van Gogh style or whatever. And people <laughs> like the things she's making. They're like, can I get that on a shirt? So then all of a sudden, can I get that in a frame in my house? So suddenly she'd right. sell a bunch of products of this funny thing she makes for people who are fanatics about a particular thing. So I don't know if that would, I don't think your major collector is going to buy something no. from GPT over Van Gogh, right? But I don't know, your average person might go, that's cute. I'd like a t-shirt or, oh, I could stick that on my teenagers college dorm whatever yeah and then we're not uh, just you just think about all of that capacity that we're no longer using we're not using the capacity for our memories to kind of bring back an idea of like you know uh, something we heard down the pub several weeks ago a fact or something like that because we've got that on our phones we're not really engaging with a long novel in which a character goes on a journey we're not spending a lot of time doing those things and we're not we're not going into the sort of like those creative modes in which we're just just being a bit sort of free associative and like seeing what comes out and who knows all the consequences that could come from not using our brains in those ways anymore it's kind of scary to think about yeah my sister and brother and I will argue well no we get to be creative of thinking the thing we tell chat gpt to do so I think that maybe the skill there is lost is say someone who literally did hand drawing or they used to have a designer who used graphic design, right? So they don't need that hire that person. So they're, they're still coming up with ideas of stuff to mix together. So they'd argue they were doing, but I think that real manual, like that skill we have for making. Yeah. To go by the wayside. Yeah. And the experience of that process, you know, like that whole idea of, you know, let chat GPT write a poem, like the, <laughs> the process of writing a poem is so amazing because your, your mind starts to split off in different directions. And as you write, you realize that a poem has sprung up inside a poem and that you really have maybe two poems and you 
the, just that feeling of bringing forth this creative spirit within yourself and then gradually shaping it into something and editing it. It just involves so many different skills and so much thinking. And there's so, for me, there's so much pleasure in that and frustration as well. But then that's teaching you something about overcoming frustration. And it's such a deeply personal process yeah, the idea of sort of, um, you know, delegating that out to technology just seems like uh, sort of like a death of something within the self to me. Do you know what, yeah. Jen, as you were talking, I was going to say, do you know, do you, as you were talking, Jen, I was imagining like, will we ever get to a point in which we are, yeah, thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to purchase that music from from that, you know, AI generated <laughs> artist, whatever. And I kind of thought, well, would people ever get to the point where they'd say, I'd prefer a poem written by an AI because the AI has every poem ever made by humankind in it. So maybe it understands human beings more than we do, more than one person does. And then that freaked me out just thinking about that, because if someone starts to make that argument, then maybe people will go, actually, maybe this poem is even deeper than if one person did it. It's actually a kind of amalgamation of historical poems forever forever in the past right yeah so this artificially produced thing becomes preferable and we're sort of making ourselves superfluous yeah yeah that's the scary part. and i'm thinking i'm listening to the series i mentioned him before i think ian mcgillchrist who's a neuroscience he does a lot of this left right brain stuff i've had I've told david to watch these things um and he just had an episode on imagination and part of it he sort of talked about imagination as this, and it seems like a thing only a human could do. It's sort of like letting the sacred move through you, like being open enough that something else bigger than you can, and like, I don't think a machine can ever do that. You know, like, I think there's something special about what we are. And so you could endlessly mix up stuff that's already existed, but I don't know if you could bring in something new, like a technology could bring in something new. I don't know, but. I don't think so. Well, something I notice is that with uh, as many people as there are that are excited about this stuff, there's a lot of concern also. There's a lot of conversations like what we're having here where we're kind of lamenting what is lost and what could potentially be lost as we continue down the path that we're on. And I wonder what's a counter, what's a way to counter that? What's a, what's a movement that can counter that? Like even, even my, um, my good friends that are, um, also homeschoolers, unschoolers, and have a pretty analog childhood for their kids. Most of them still allow their kids to do some video games and have tablets and do, do screens and things like that. And so, and, and so that's outside. So I, I was just scanning the chat. Somebody was talking about, let me, let me read that one real quick. Uh, the shade tree intellectual. I've had to threaten my, to sue my school district because they issue laptops to students for six hours a day to kids with ADHD who are now punished because they can't stay on task. How cruel is that? And yeah, I mean, that's like the, the kids who are going to school, they're getting sent home with tablets and laptops. I mean, they're just, they're, they're being trained to be on this thing and they're being allowed to bring phones to school and to use their phone as part of, you know, pull out your phone and search this or do this. And so this is being you know, even in kids who are set aside from that experience. And I would argue like my, the cohort of people that I know that, that are homeschooling, unschooling their kids, 
these kids are probably getting very minimal tech compared to school kids, but they still are getting tech. And I, I wonder what is, what is a, a sensible, how do we incorporate this sensibly? And how do those of us who are concerned about overuse bring about some change, not only for ourselves, but also contribute to a larger movement of people who are wanting to slow this down and, and, and carve out analog spaces in our lives and preserve what we still have in our non-tech identity, I guess. Mm. I was just thinking, I mean, Deborah, you can probably speak to this more, but Ian McGilchrist talks about um, how Abigail, the language of Mandarin has many more words in it that um, imply an embodiment, embodied sense within the words. Like um, he says that even learning Mandarin, he started to see that there was a kind of a, a implicit instruction within the words that had an embodiment sense within it. And I, I, I was just thinking about that and, and thinking that that we, we we're getting to a point in our culture where we're maybe coming out of kind of enlightenment values, thinking about mind body duality and thinking and we've gotten to a point where we're starting to appreciate the body more as this technology is kind of taking over <laughs> and 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 i just think like having is it like having a language for that feeling you get when i mean i don't know about you guys but like that feeling i get when i've i've been on my phone too much or you know sometimes blue and apple tells me you've been on your phone this much today this week on an average and i just I just think it's crazy. So I'm just ashamed of myself. But but also that feet. I, I don't know. Have we got a language for sort of how um, kind of almost congested? Like I can feel quite mentally congested and tired from spending too much time on my phone, or 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 thinking about the things that I'm negating. And and, and maybe we need to have more of a language about what it is to feel like we're giving ourselves a healthy amount of headspace um, from those things. It's yeah, interesting. interesting. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Deborah. Well, I'm just thinking about it's not cognitive dissonance. It's just I'm thinking about the there's the sector of people who would be really up on like, let's use a lot of technology. I'm thinking like when I used to live in the Bay Area. And that also there is a simultaneous there, let's do yoga and let's meditate and let's um make apps to meditate. And let's so it's it's like I don't know if they can see where. I don't know. I don't know if they can actually figure it out because they are bringing the embodiment piece and they're doing the technology stuff at the same time, or they're working at cross odds, you know, but like, there's a whole, I'm just thinking about a whole people who are quite had a big influence on the culture. Um, I mean, even the notion of trauma and dealing with trauma and being a body, like that seems to be filtering through the culture quite a bit in some ways, maybe in ways that we think aren't so helpful. Um, Account the act the ways that it's helpful. I, like I don't know. I don't know if one there, there's part of this inevitability problem though, or people say it's an inevitability. Like there's some sense of like we can't stop the tech because if we don't do it, other people. And so even if we wanted to do more, sometimes people think, well, we can't stop it. I, I don't know what's really true about that, but it does seem like there's people that are making some stand for being in your body and and all of this. And yet I don't know if it's going. It's so funny to say fast because the whole point of that would be slow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are going slow enough? I think. I mean, one of the challenges, and Ian McGilchrist was talking about the other day. We focus so much on efficiency, and it's like there's other ways to show. What was the word? It's not like 
causes of things or whatever. And it's like, I don't know if we can, that, that's when it gets caught in like, is capitalism the problem, right? Like, I don't know where, if we stop this speed and having to compete and get it faster and get from A to B in the most efficient way, as opposed to maybe you walk this interesting way and you meet your husband on the way that you wouldn't have, you know, right? Like you lose serendipity. So I don't know. I don't know if there's enough, I hate to say influencers, but people in the culture. I mean, you have some of the people like Mary Harrington or you have, what is it, Paul Kings North, he called it the machine. And you have people talking about starting, you know, trad lifestyle. Um, I don't know if that's more like LARPing, but like there's, it feels like there's some pockets of it, but it, it, it's, it's, or Charles Eisenstein even, there's, there's people in the green world that kind of want to slow stuff down. I don't know if they have enough influence, but it feels like there's pockets of it. Just like you said, the homeschooler people. There's, it's funny because there's that... like a paradox there, isn't there? Because in order to be able to be an influencer of that, mm. you have to engage with the very thing that you're trying to convince people to stop engaging with as much. And so by definition, the people who are probably mm. most concerned about it are least visible. Yeah. My article about stop engaging with your phones just got loads and loads of likes. Well, hey. <laughs> So does that mean local? Does that mean this maybe needs to be more locally done? You know, I mean, I'm in a massive city. I don't know how I entirely do things locally here, but where it's like, you know, there's a regular meeting at the rec center, you know, and you don't necessarily have to have an app, you know, Twitter to know about it. And people are gathering and trying some of these things, but they don't have to have somebody that's got a million followers to know what they should be trying you know, to know about it? I don't know. It did feel like our culture was heading toward, you know, there was a, it feels like for a while, well, until recently, um, people would, you think about sort of consumerism and people would talk a lot more about experience, wouldn't they? They talk about the experience, not just of having a Starbucks product, but it's about the smell you have when you come into a Starbucks coffee shop and, 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 and the, you know, someone knowing your name, the experience of that. And I know that's, I know we're kind of shifting into a sort of a corporate point of view on things, but there is still a feeling in which uh, our culture started to recognize that it was the experiential stuff that was much more nourishing for us rather than just consumer products. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's left us a little bit. <laughs> Internet's taken over. Jennifer, what does Elliot think? See, let's ask him. <laughs> what do you Elliot think? knows. He thinks that he should kiss me. Oh. No. Well, that's about as like local as I can imagine. Yeah, I think, man, the way to bring, to kind of slow this is, it is in our own lives to begin with. I mean, that's certainly the starting place. I don't know where from there, but. Yeah, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, I've, I've kind of allowed myself to be separated from myself in a sense. And I'm really grateful to technology because, you know, I do, I get to talk with people that I wouldn't otherwise talk with. And I get to talk with you guys and I, I meet all wonderful people. So I think it's a useful, wonderful tool, but I want to keep it just a tool and not have it be sort of the center of my life and spreading its tentacles into the hours of my day in the intrusive way that it is now. And yeah, I think I need to spend more time um, reading and writing things. And I used to do this art journaling thing with collage, which I noticed I've stopped doing probably because it requires effort and 
um, instead of just hitting a button and being entertained by something. Yeah, what you said there, Jennifer, I, I think about like the drive to create being sometimes born from boredom and from, uh, you know, we're, at, we're, we're, we're restless. And if you are constantly quenching your restlessness with stimulation, then you lose the creative drive. I mean, or at least you dampen it. And I'm the same way. I don't do nearly as much creative work when I'm obsessing over, you know, scrolling. How involved, because I'm not, which is like, how involved are each of you in your local communities? Um, I mean, I've kind of lived, especially through the pandemic here by myself, like through the internet, like, thank God, I was like, thank God I can connect with people, but it's been harder for me to figure out how to do that so much here on the ground. Are you all like involved? I mean, David, you got your school situation. Yeah, so I'm. I guess I'm. My the university's just sort of half an hour walk away. Um, I, my placement's about half an hour walk away in the other direction. Um, do you mean like involved in the? I mean, I play play for local football team, so I do that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'd say I get out and about, but maybe, maybe not quite as much as I'd like to. Um, but I'm. Yeah, I stopped using much in the way of social media a while ago to be honest and I didn't do it I don't know yeah was I very conscious about it I just started to realize how I was getting too hooked on putting stuff out there and and wondering what was going to happen to it and I just thought I don't want to exist in that headspace concerned about how people are going to judge me on things I just sort of took myself out of it so I feel quite lucky that I don't use it for that but then YouTube is a social media platform and I am addicted to YouTube so um I very much have to acknowledge that what about you Jennifer yeah I'm (laughs) I'm totally not part of my community at all um no, I'm just, I'm not, um, I don't even know how I would be. I mean, I do go to church, but I go very seldom for a variety of reasons. So that's one way that I think I would been in, be involved. And I have in the past um, been very active in different churches and I kept leaving as they went woke. Um, so yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, I have people in my community that I hang out with that I love, but I don't have, you know, anything or I'm part of a team or, no. Well, over COVID, and I, I have to apologize. There's a guy with a lawnmower making a lot of noise. So if that's coming through, that's on my end. Um, well, there were a bunch of us locally who were really concerned with the COVID restrictions and what they meant for our lives. And one of the, I guess the silver lining was that we developed really good local community connections. So there were a bunch of us who were doing big get togethers, trying to come out and support businesses that were, were not going along with the lockdown requirements. And we would, we would get together and, and come out in mass to spend our money at these businesses that were supporting our freedom. And we, connected really well with other homeschooling families around this time as well. So it's been the past, over the past three years or so, we have really, um, I feel like I've, I've gotten a lot more connected with my local community. Gosh, this guy's loud. Is that too loud? Can you guys hear me? Oh, there is. Okay. Um, and uh, 
so we have a homeschool group that we started um, meeting with. It was five or six moms who started it in early 2020. And we meet weekly. And among those five or six moms, there's like 14 kids. And, uh, you know, we expanded. So we're always welcoming new people. So we've grown to be like, there's something like 50 moms in the group, but it just varies who shows up each week. And that overlaps with other groups that meet other days. And so we'll have a lot of cross pollination where, you know, some of us will go to theirs and some of them will come to ours. And so throughout the week, our kids have lots of social opportunities and some of the moms formed a sports league. And so the kids play sports together and they rotate which sports it'll be like soccer, then baseball, then basketball. And we, you know, it's a huge league. I don't, I'm trying to think how many kids that would be. It's probably something in the ballpark of 60 to hundred kids that typically play in those leagues. And it's, it's really great. And, and beyond that, we do picnics and markets and it's a really, really thriving local community that feels good to be connected um, to. And so, yeah, I think that's been a, that's been a really a huge benefit in my life. It being connected on the local level. And, and I, I think like one of my, I, I, one, one thing I think we can all benefit from is to, is to make our reality the size that it actually is like connect back to our local roots as much as we can, because when you disperse yourself online, you're really not there. And you're, you know, there's, there, like you said, Jen, there's, there's benefits in the technology. Like we wouldn't be able to connect with one another in this way if we didn't have this. And there's keeping up with family and friends that live somewhere far away. It does have real benefits, but I like how you, you put it where you want to use it as a tool and not have it be something that is using you. Like, is the technology using me or am I using it? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I know we didn't even touch on like topics of surrogacy and all those other transhumanist concepts. And I think that's so interesting. We just kind of stayed on, on phones <laughs> and internet, but there's a lot to talk about there. Does anybody have any, any kind of final, final thoughts on this? Yeah. I just would like to say that I enjoy how our conversations go because we'll sort of have a loose idea of what we're going to talk about. And it's kind of like throwing a stone in a pond and then it just kind of ripples outwards and turns into these different things. And we just kind of follow where the energy is. So it's, it's really interesting. It's a very organic process. I'll just say, I noticed like, especially um, Leslie, when you just started to describe this, you know, community you have, like, it feels so nourishing to my body. I'm kind of like, I don't know. It's hard here in New York because not many people think how I do. It's like hard to find like, like-minded people, but I thought, oh God, that just feels so nourishing to imagine this, you know, again, like it feels like almost these different webs and it, whatever, however the group of you did what you did, where it, 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 it sounds just like it's really flourishing and new things sprout out in the sports leagues. It sounds very generative. Maybe that's what I'd say. And I don't know, you didn't mention if there was much um, 
strife or anything. I'm not hearing that. I mean, maybe there's things people disagree about a little bit, but it sounds like that's not primary, which is like, so just like so rare. <laughs> um, and so I just, I, I just appreciate having that experience in my body right now, even if I don't have that particular setup right now in my own life. Yeah. I mean, there's drama between individuals from time to time and that happens, but but overall, it's felt like it's a really good thing. I, although I think that it was more, there was this pressure that came during the lockdown in Washington state. It was pretty, pretty crazy. You know, I don't, I guess we're in, in New York. I, I think it was very similar, if not even worse, but Washington state was really strict. And there were a lot of people who were really disturbed by this. And so there was this pressure, I think, on those of us who didn't agree with it, that um, the concern brought us together. And as things have opened back up, you know, that's it's the closeness has dissipated a little bit. People are more, you know, expanding back into the world at large, and there's less of that that pressure forcing us together. So, but it but the connections remain, and especially through the homeschool community, I that's been such a blessing. I hope you're able to find something like that locally. And I, I love for one thing I really love is like seeing solid ground people connect with each other locally. You know, that's super cool. And yeah, I also want to check. I know Megan Down has the unspeakeasy, which I haven't joined yet, but that's for heterodox women. And I'm guessing there's got to be a couple people in New York. So I, I need to join that so I can um, see about those folks are here as well. Yeah, it takes a lot of effort to make yourself do that kind of thing, but it tends to be, if it works out, it's really rewarding. How about you, David, any final thoughts? I've got, got, not got much to add, but I've really enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, it gives me food for thought. I think you're a, a model of, uh, of, of plugging into your local community, Leslie, and I'm thinking I'd like to do more of that. Um, and the weather's getting hot again in the UK, so it may well be a bit more possible now. Well, it's cool that you play football in a league. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah, that's something. Um, yeah. I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like my community, a lot of the local community, like the community work that I feel like I do is, is the solid ground stuff, is talking to you guys and feeling like we've got a purpose there. And doing that across continents the way that we do, um, I think we... I owe a lot to the technology to allow me to do that from from a little place like Colchester in Essex in the UK. <laughs> um, but it doesn't it doesn't stop me thinking it'd be lovely to to be more in person with some people sometimes, you know, to feel like you can be part of the energy in the room a bit more. Balance. Sorry. Balance. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you guys so much for this great conversation. And I hope, I hope everybody has a good week. I hope your groups are fun and lively and really look forward to speaking with y'all next week. <laughs>